Alrighty, good morning. Morning. So today we're going to be talking about uh, the subject of prayer. And we're going to do a series on this. Uh, we've got plenty of notes here with scripture verses to, um, to teach and, and expound on prayer. Why we pray. So the, the title of this, of this series is Why Do We Pray? And so this teaching, this, this one, I don't know if it's going to be like an introductory or what, but we're basically going to get our, our toes wet because there's so much to talk about prayer um, and it's going to help us kind of set the stage for it. So we're going to begin in James chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. Um, I'll give you guys a moment to, to do that. You know, the reason why I want to teach on prayer is because it's, it's a misunderstood thing. A lot of people, they really have, they struggle with, why should I pray, you know? A lot of questions concerning God's will, um, whether or not, well, can I even pray? What's the point in praying if God's will is going to happen anyway? Those types of things. So we're going to cover that. We probably won't cover all that today, but in the series to come, uh, we'll talk about God's will and how that, uh, uh, you know, uh, comes into play with our prayers. We're going to talk about um, what the purpose of prayer is, you know, why we, uh, what what all gets done in prayer. You know, what is it just so that we can get what we ask for, or is it um, just so that we can um, have thoughts about, people say this all the time, well, you're in my prayers, you know, or I've been praying for you, or, or, or they'll say, I will pray for you. And a lot of times that doesn't mean they're praying for you, that just means they've been thinking about you, you know. And so that's not prayer. You know, prayer a lot of time, prayer moves stuff. Prayer um, gets things done, and we're going to learn about that. Um, and so there's just a lot of things under misunderstood. That's why I wanna, I'll, I'll just tell you, when somebody asks me if, they, if, if I can pray for them, I'll say, let me pray for you right now. Because I know that if I leave, I'm not going to pray for them. I'm going to forget, you know. And so if we believe that our prayers are powerful, no matter what, no matter where, all the time they're powerful, then... Um, then we'll pray right then on the street. We'll pray right then, right with them, you know. And also, um, there's prayer time where we where we believe God for something, and then there's also prayer time just for us, just for me. Like if I'm not, if I don't have a daily prayer time for myself, I won't be ready to pray with somebody on the street. You see what I mean? Because there's a lot of things that happen in prayer. There's our faith gets built up in prayer. Our um, all kinds of stuff gets gets um, established inside prayer. Um, so. We're going to start with James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So we're going to stop right there. Uh, we have to know that we're righteous. Now, I've already done a teaching on righteousness and how we're established in righteousness and who we are in Christ and how we are made right with God. So if we know that we are righteous, then it, it, it changes how we pray. It changes our faith. Um, I wrote something here. Before we begin pr uh, to pray, we must know that we are righteous. Faith always begins with this for every Christian. So if I don't know that I'm righteous, if I don't really get it inside of me, if I don't have a renewed mind to the fact that I am righteous, then my prayers will have no power. That's important to know because it breeds faith. By knowing this truth, we have faith that our prayers will be answered. So if I don't know this truth, I won't have faith. And faith is critical. For prayers to be answered, okay. And again, uh, this you're uh, just to tap on it, just in case nobody has anybody's listening doesn't hasn't heard the other teachings. Um, we're not made righteous on our own, like we're made righteous by faith in Christ because Christ made me righteous. It wasn't a work that I did, you know, but I have to believe. I have to believe that what Jesus did was enough to make me righteous and make me like Him and get me the favor from God that I need. All right, so. Um, 
verse 17 of James 5 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it may not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So we talk about how, I love how they do this. This is my favorite way of describing it. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And we look at Elijah, and he's this man of great miracles and signs and wonders all the time. And he had a prayer life, you know. And we understand he had a nature like ours. I like this because what, what James is saying is that Elijah is like you and me. He's just like you and me. There's nothing special about Elijah except that he's just like you and me. But he prayed and had faith and believed God and it did not rain for three and a half years. So that's, that's important to note that, we are, that we're not like less. We're not less than, you know. It's not like people have a certain corner on God. Oh, well, this person's special, you know, and he's, well, God hears him. No, he just knows that he's righteous. You see what I mean? If, I, if you knew you were righteous, God would, God would, your prayers would be answered too. You see what I mean? But does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> um, before we begin to pray, okay, so our prayers are very powerful. This is very important to know. Because God hears, so another question, you know, why do we pray? Um, the first answer to that is because we're righteous. The second answer to that question is because God hears us. Um, Psalm 116, verse 1 through 4 says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol shall uh, laid hold on me. And I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called in the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. So, I love this. He says, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him. That's prayer. As long as I live. You know, I've had a, I heard a friend of mine say one time, he said, uh, you know, I studied all the religions and stuff. And you know the God that I chose? The one that answered my prayers. You know? And this guy, I guess, had spent years uh, trying to figure out what his faith was, what he believed. You know? And finally, he met God. And he prayed to God. And God answered his prayers. And he's like, this is the real God. You know? And that's what Jacob did. Jacob did it in the Old Testament. He said, God, if you'll bring me back to this land, you know, in safety, when he talks about, because Jacob was, uh, in, he, he stole his brother's birthright, right? So Esau wanted to kill him. And so he's all running from God, or he's running from uh, his brother. And he's like, man, uh, he prays and he says, God, if you're the real God, and if you bring me, because see, Jacob didn't really just believe only in God. Like he had all these other gods. Um, whenever he had uh, Rachel, when he, I mean, when he married uh, Rachel and Leah, they both had household gods. They had these foreign gods. And he had adopted these different gods. He wasn't loyal and, and faithful to God alone. But he put a deal on God and said, God, if you bring me back here, I'll worship you and I'll worship you alone. Which is kind of a weird deal. But, because you, we would never venture, we would never have the gall to say, man, I'm going to test God like that. You know what I mean? But Jacob did. You know? Jacob said, if you will answer my prayer, if you'll bring me back here in peace to my brother, to my family, then I'll worship you alone. 21 years later, he comes back. He's blessed. God's blessed him with all this stuff. Uh, all these uh, uh, flocks and family. He's got all his kids pretty much, except for two of them, I believe. One or two of them. And he comes back with his two wives, and he's praying, and he's wrestling with God. And at this point, this is when, when he wrestles with God, and God gives him a new name, calls him Israel, because he strives with God. So Jacob was the man who strove with God, but it took him 20 years, 21 years to get his prayer answered. <laughs> you know? and But he prayed this prayer. If you bring me back, I'll worship you alone. So when they came back, and Esau came to him in peace, then 
he went away and immediately told all of his wives, his, he told his wives, come to me, bring your household gods, we're getting rid of them, and we're going to worship God alone. And they built an altar to the Lord and made sacrifice for him. And so it was at that point that he said, I'm going to serve God and God alone. See, that's, that's what's so important about God. Like prayer is how we encounter God. Prayer is how we know God is real. I mean, without prayer, you would never get to say, well, I prayed for this and God answered it and it wasn't just a coincidence. You see what I'm saying? Prayer and faith removes coincidence and it actually brings evidence that God's real. So prayer is important. Prayer, prayer not only um, it does it take the faith to believe it, but it also builds my faith when my, answer, my prayers are answered. Whenever I can share the testimony of someone we prayed for and they got healed. You know what I mean? Or we prayed for God's provision and he came through. And when we prayed for uh, whatever, you know, whatever, whenever God answers our prayers, it's a testimony to God and it brings glory to him. God, it says in scripture that God gets glory through our prayers that are answered. Jesus said that to his disciples, pray and believe so that God, you'll get whatever you ask for. That way my father will be glorified. I don't have that scripture reference right here. I'm sure it'll be in here later. Um, I'm just quoting off the top of my head, but it's the truth. God gets glory through answered prayers. So why do we pray? So God will get glory, you know? So we get we, we pray because we're righteous. We pray because he hears us, and we pray because it brings God glory. This is very powerful. Um, so when we know these two truths, that we're righteous and that God hears us, it breeds faith. So if you go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, I'll give you a minute. Um, this is very important, man. Since It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So we're talking about our righteousness right now. We're in Hebrews chapter 4. Whenever, when we talk about our righteousness, we're talking about how we got our righteousness. That righteousness comes through Jesus. And so we're talking about this high priest. Check this out. Whenever you were in the Old Testament, they would have this tabernacle. Inside the tabernacle, they have God would sit on this mercy seat, which is the, let me just draw this up for you. Check this out. So you, you have the tabernacle like this. There's some stuff over here. I can't remember. All. If I mess this up, I'm so sorry. Please do your own homework. There's an altar out here, okay, where they burn stuff. There's a basin that they wash stuff, okay? There's this outer, um, this outer like, tent wall. It's not like a real wall. It's they could break it down and tear it down. You know what I mean? It's like this. It was a, it was a movable, mobile. There we go. It was a mobile temple, and they called it the tabernacle. Okay, so they would come through here. They would do the sacrifice. The sacrifice was important. They had to be sacrificed and washed. Okay, cleansing, ceremonial cleansings. This is all very important. Uh, both of these things are type and shadow of Jesus Christ. When they died for us, then he gave us, it, it actually took away our sin, and then he washed us clean. Okay, well then they come in here, the priest comes in, the high priest, so Jesus is our high priest. So he comes into the tabernacle, and there's a few other things inside here as well. But back here, there's this box. Okay, it's called the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, and it looks sort of like this. With handles on it, has angels. They call him seraphim or cherubim. Uh, and the presence of God would rest between those two angels. Okay? And there, this was called the lid. It's called the mercy seat. This is very important. When, whenever the, the priest would sacrifice the animal, and he would do ceremonial, ceremonial cleansing, then he would go into the tabernacle. When he got into the tabernacle, he would go back behind this holy of holies inside this little place right here. Okay? And he would go inside here and he would wear this thing called the ephod. And it had 12 stones on it, kind of like that. 
might have that messed up, maybe slightly different, maybe it's pretty close to that, okay? Maybe three across, three down and three across and four down, it doesn't matter, but the ephod had 12 stones on it that represented the 12 tribes of Israel, and it covered God, it covered the priest's heart, okay? So, he would go into this Holy of Holies, and inside the Holy of Holies, inside this uh, Ark of the Covenant, this little box, he would have the Ten Commandments, or the law, Okay, so what they did was, see, God's covenant was always to protect his people, always take care of his people, always show mercy and grace to his people. This was God's end of the deal, and our end of the deal was to keep the law, or the Israelites' end of the deal was to keep the law. So what happens was, it's like this receipt of transaction. You know, if I come to you and I give you a, a check for $200, and I go to the bank, the bank has the money, $200, Right? So I give them the check, which is mine, which is what somebody has promised me, okay? And then inside the bank is the $200, but not only that, a receipt of transaction, okay? So when I give him the check, he gives me a receipt and the money, okay? This all has to do with promises of God. See, what happens is this was our check. This was the ephod on the chest that he carried with the 12 stones of Israel that represented the people of God, the 12 tribes of Israel. That was, that was the priest coming to God saying, hey, here is your end of the deal to take care of us, to take care of these people right here. So this is my check. I'm bringing it in to the Holy of Holies. When I come to the Holy of Holies, I'm, I'm asking you to take care of us, to protect us, to provide for us, to answer our prayers, da-da-da-da, whatever you want to say, right? So he's bringing this ephod into the Holy of Holies, and on the inside, there's the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant has which represents God, because God's right there. He's sitting between the two cherubs. But inside, he's sitting on the mercy seat, and inside the box is the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments is God saying, okay, you're going to bring in your end of the deal, and I'm going to bring in, you're going to bring in my end of the deal to take care of you? Well, I'm going to show you what your end of the deal is, is to keep, to keep these Ten Commandments, to keep these this 613 laws, Ten Commandments, the law, right? If you will obey these commandments, I will take care of your people. You see what I'm saying? It's this transaction, Okay, but because they couldn't keep this law, they had the sacrifice to, to take away their sin. Even from the beginning, God already knew. You can't keep this law. Now, some things were just immediately killed for. You didn't have a sacrifice for. But there was a lot of stuff that you had to do sacrifice for, especially for unintentional sin. So he'd come in here, and the priest would do a sacrifice for himself first. Then he would do a sacrifice for the people. Okay. So he'd come in here into the Holy of Holies, and he's bringing his point of transaction. God has their, their point of transaction, and they're like, we're going to keep the law. We're keeping the law by doing the sacrifice. Just so cool. Because, see, Jesus is how we keep the law. Jesus was our sacrifice. He's the one who gave us access. So this is, when we talk about getting access to God and the throne room of God, this is like the, throne, the type and shadow of the throne room of God. Without the sacrifice, you could not even enter into this place to ask God for anything. You see what I'm saying? This is so cool because the Bible says, check this out, that Jesus died for all. All right, now, talk about this for one second. A lot of people think, well, everybody must be saved. No. He died for all, but not all are saved. But why is this important? Because if Jesus didn't die for all, you couldn't even go to God to ask him for salvation. His blood sacrifice was for every single person, but his resurrection gift of eternal life See, God never said, uh, if you believe in me, you'll receive uh, the death of Jesus. No, he, for, the Bible says that 
He foresaw, he, so, uh, so loved the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that anyone who believes in him would have eternal life. And then other, other uh, Bible verses say uh, that God, he demonstrated his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus didn't die for righteous people. He died for unrighteous people. He died for sinners. So this is why people get confused because they think, well, everybody's going to get saved. Death doesn't bring, this doesn't bring you salvation. The cross didn't bring you salvation. The cross brought you justice. This is so good. The cross doesn't bring salvation. The cross brings justice. The, the cross gives you access. But until you open up your mouth and pray and ask God for salvation, you don't get salvation. Salvation is given through the resurrection. The cross gives you justice. The cross gives you justice. The cross makes you right before God. But it doesn't give you salvation. It's so crazy. It gives you justice. Justice doesn't save you. Justice just gives you access to ask God for something. You see what I'm saying? Because I'm now just before God. I am now made righteous, or I have the opportunity for righteousness. Okay? Uh, I'm now made That's why the Bible says you can believe in your heart that he died, and you are now justified. But it's with your mouth that one confesses and is saved. Okay? So, I do believe that there's a part of you that has to die. You know, the Bible is very clear about that too. But that all takes faith. So there's, there's parts of this that, that require faith. There's parts of it that doesn't require faith. Jesus died for all. Okay? Does it make sense? Yeah? Jesus died for all. Even the ones that were sinners. Even the ones that never will, ever, come to know Christ. You know? He died for all of them. Uh, and that gives... So here's what I'm trying to teach. Here's what I'm trying to teach. His blood gives you access. Okay? His blood gives you access, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get anything unless you ask. Does it make sense? This is very important. Very, very important. Okay. So, that's clear? That's clear? I just want to make sure before we get going on. Um, so, it says right here, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Watch this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is so powerful. All right, so now we see, <clears throat> just what I tried to explain a second ago, that Jesus died and also represents the high priest. Okay? So that now we have access to there. But the thing is, it, why does it say with confidence? The New Living Translation says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I love that one. That's a good translation too. But it says right here, come boldly. Why? See, here's the thing. Unbelief, this is so powerful. Faith is so important. Faith is confidence. Faith is being bold. We talked about this in scripture that says the wicked flee when, the no one, when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. The reason why is because he died for us. He made me righteous if I believe it. It takes faith to believe that in my heart. Then with my mouth, I confess, boldly come before. Now, how often do we go to God boldly? You know? that This right here is important to our prayers being powerful and effective. You can't be bold if you're not righteous. You can't be bold. That's, that's the truth. 
Here's the thing. Most people, when they pray, they don't believe. They don't believe they're going to get it. They don't believe they're going to get it because they don't believe that they deserve it. Of course, we don't deserve it. Let me read this, what I wrote. We do not deserve to get our prayers answered because of sin. But because of Christ, it is as if we never did that. Knowing this truth will set us free from doubt. The only reason we don't think that we will get it is because somehow we don't really believe that we have that kind of favor with God. God's grace is unmerited favor. You didn't ever earn it. You know what I mean? Now, you can grow in grace. But this right here, this initial access that we can boldly go before God and actually pray and believe that we're going to get what we ask for, that is, that is crazy. And people really have, well, you can't do that with God. Why? See, what you're living in, what you're, when people say that, well, you can't, you can't ask God for that. Well, okay, here's what people are saying. People, when they say that, when they have that thing that, come, that comes on them like that, like, well, you can't do that. They're, what they're doing is they're afraid of God. But you don't have to be afraid of God anymore. That's, that's so cool. I mean, there is a fear of God. Don't get me wrong. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But when we're in communion with him, I have nothing to fear. You see what I mean? I, why could I not ask him? Well, that's too bold. It's too bold. You can't ask God for that. Jesus makes me righteous. If Jesus was bold enough to ask for things, and now I'm, watch this. This is so cool. Uh, let me read through some of if, if I If I'm not being made into the image of Christ, we're going to read that scripture here in a minute, okay? Let's keep reading what I've got here. Uh, knowing our righteousness, that God hears us and having confidence brings us to the point where we have our prayers answered. You can't get your prayers answered without confidence, without faith. That's another thing. That's another thing. That's kind of weird. Like, you have to know you're righteous. It's like God sitting there, do you know that you're righteous? <laughs> you know? Faith. And why? Because the righteous shall walk by faith. So, even by, even by having that faith and really believing, man, I am the righteousness of God, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I am the righteousness of God. If I know this, it gives me confidence. And I can go before God boldly. And then he gives... God always responds to boldness. It's weird. But God always responds to boldness. And he responds to humility. But not fake humility. See, true humility will humble themselves before God. And the Bible says that he will exalt those who humble themselves. So when I get exalted by God, I get great confidence. You see what I mean? I always say this. If you go into a conversation with God and you don't come out confident, you didn't go in very humble. So humility is key, but humility is key to confidence. Because now I'm confident in Christ, not confident in my own ability. I'm confident in what he did for me. Now I can go boldly before God and ask him for something. <clears throat> James 1 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. we got to know who we are in Christ so that we can come to God and pray. It's talking. This passage is talking about wisdom. Um, but... This is true for everything we pray for. If you go to Matthew chapter 21, Jesus is t teaching his disciples in verse 20. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? <clears throat> and Jesus answered them, Truly, I say to you, because see, Jesus had cursed his fig tree and it died, in case people don't know the story. Jesus come out there and cursed the fig tree when it wasn't even in season. He's like, Cursed are you, you'll never bear any more fruit. Thing dies. They're like, Hey, look at this, the fig tree died. How did that happen? He says, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what's been done to the fig tree. So this is not talking about wisdom. 
It's talking about supernatural signs and wonders. So Jesus is saying, just like asking for wisdom, you know, it takes faith and no doubting. It, the same principle applies to, if you want to curse a fig tree, if you want to say to this mountain, check this out. But even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. All right, so this is powerful. Jesus is breaking some rules right now. Jesus is totally, radically tearing apart some of our doctrines. Like, well, if you pray for something and it's not God's will, it's not going to happen. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus never talked about that. He never talked about that. Like, if that was really, it just blows my mind that our church is sometimes, they just get so wrapped up in, well, God's will, God's will, and then God's in control, stuff like that. Jesus never taught about that. Jesus never taught about that. I'm going to say that again. Jesus never taught about that. And if he is the teacher, and if he is my master, I'm going to start listening to him and not listening to the doctrines that people have made up. Because what happens is people make up these doctrines because of their experience. They don't make it up by the word of God. And Jesus changes everything. Like, Jesus is like the pivoting point for everything. He changes everything. So we have to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, what did you say about our prayers? And how are they supposed to be answered? And he says right here, you will receive if you have faith and do not doubt. Doubt, check this out. Doubt comes when we trust in ourselves. Say that again. Doubt comes when we trust in ourselves. When we trust in our own opinion. When we trust in our ability to get things done. Or, you see what I'm saying? But that is not where righteousness comes from. We must die to ourselves, that's humility, and delight in the Lord, and he will give us the desires of our heart. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But, now we see this, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight is this, this thing in your heart. What do you want? Delight yourself in the Lord, that means the only thing you really want is God. And then he says, and I'll give you the desires of your heart which is God. So cool. Not only God, but everything God has for you. God's going to tell you, hey, go over here and do this. And you're going to pray and you're going to believe because God sent you over there. And now you're going to get it because you asked for God for it. And you would delight in the Lord and you're going to get the desires of your heart because the desires of your heart are now God's desires. You see? <clears throat> only the righteous, the prayers of the righteous avail as much. Why? Because their delight in the Lord. Their desire is for God. They want to serve God and love him with all their heart. See, that's where the catch comes in. That's why I was like, well, you know, uh, if it's the will of God, well, question, are you delighting in the Lord? And are you pursuing him with all of your heart? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew chapter 6, 33, and all these things will be added unto you. What's the catch? You have to seek God with all of your heart. When you seek God with all your heart, when he is your delight, you get the desires of your heart. Why? Because they're his desires. Because God doesn't break his word. See what I'm saying? God doesn't break his word. But if he puts his word in your heart... He won't break that word. See what I'm saying? It's so cool. God's not a liar. You know, a lot of people are like, well, don't put God in a box. God puts himself in a box all the time. The box is right here. He put himself in his box called the word. He doesn't violate his word. He's not a liar. There's a couple things God can't do. He can't lie and he can't sin. Same thing. Can't lie, sin. So yeah, people, they're like, oh, good. God can do anything. No, he can't. He can't lie. Now, if you will hold on to that truth right there, God cannot lie then you will start finding things in the scripture you can believe God for because he's not a liar. Just simply because he's not a liar. And people, well, don't put God in a box. I didn't put him in a box. He put himself in a box. The box is his word. He put his own, God has restrained himself. Man, thank God he's not, he has restrained himself. If God didn't have restraint, self-control, you know, we'd all be dead, you know? But it's his word. 
Why hasn't God come and destroyed everyone? Because Jesus died for all. You want to know why doesn't God, the earth doesn't swallow people up anymore? Because Jesus died for all. You know? Every person out there has access to the point where they can receive mercy from God. So we go, oh yeah, if God really was real, why, why did he let the rapist get a... Listen, J Jesus died for the rapist. Man, we got... So here's what people want to do. They don't want God to judge them, but they want God to judge everyone else. I'm talking about the atheist right now. He's like, well, if God was real, then he would have wouldn't have let that rapist get away with messing that child or whatever. Look, Jesus died for him. Like, you don't understand this. Obviously, you don't know the forgiveness of God, or you would have mercy on a rapist. Now, that's probably going to challenge a lot of people on Facebook and YouTube and whatnot, because I'm telling you, we have to have the love of the Father. The love of the Father died for all. He died. There's no one that's exempt. Man, thank you, Jesus. Man, and that, if that doesn't humble somebody, man, then you're just full of pride and self-righteousness. Here, here's what we do. We, we, we really want to get mad at God, man. Oh, if he got rid of all... We, if if he, he should have done something about that guy doing that. Man, if he did that to him, he has to do it to you. God is fair. God is a fair, just God. So if he's going to judge one guy, he's going to judge them all. But Jesus died so that he could give us an extension of mercy and grace. So people mock sometimes. Well, if God was real, how come he hasn't come back yet? Jesus hasn't come back yet. It's very clear. If Jesus comes back, there's going to be blood up to your neck in the street when Jesus comes back. So when Jesus comes back, it's not a good day. So I don't pray that God comes back right now. That Jesus comes back and establishes his earthly kingdom. Like, I pray that his kingdom is established in each man's heart. That's what I pray for. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, you'll become Lord of people's lives and you come into their heart and you transform them because the day of wrath is still to come. And this is mercy. 2,000 years later, People mock. No, that, that's mercy is what that is. This is God extending mercy. Every The only thing that God's going to, when he comes back, that's all that's going to happen is judgment. You know? Whenever Ahab, when, when Elijah came to Ahab, he said, Ahab, <clears throat> God has prophesied. He said he's going to destroy you and your sons and everyone's going to be cut off. And Ahab ripped his clothes. And God, God says to Elijah, Elijah, do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Therefore, go back and tell him, I will not bring this calamity upon him, but I'll just bring it on the next generation. So because he repented and he humbled himself, there was an extension of mercy. It was going to happen right then. But God extended his life. He still decided to keep on... Uh, he, after that, after he repented, he went back and started you know, doing the wrong thing again, and he was killed in battle. And then after that, all kinds of stuff happened. Everything that God said happened. But sometimes... The mercy of God will extend the thing that he's prophesied. So that will extend it from, from happening. Let's put it that way. The judgment of God. There is a final judgment. When Jesus comes back, it's a final judgment. It's not a good day when he comes back. It's not. I mean, for us who believe, it's a good day. But for those who are outside, it's not a good day. And if we care about those people and if we love those people, we're not going to be praying for them to get what's coming to them. You know? The Bible says don't do that. Scripture says, you know, don't rejoice in, in your enemy when he, when he has... Um, evil come upon him, lest God, you know, turn away from the wrath upon him and comes on you. You know, that's a weird scripture verse. That's Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus died for all, so we're on righteousness if we have him. But my point is, we're not supposed to rejoice in the death of the wicked. Man, Jesus, Ezekiel says, I take no, God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You know, so we can see that God is in conflict here, you know. 
justice and mercy. He loves us. But he also is a just God. He doesn't lie. So anyway, kind of got off on there. It was a little bit of rabbit tail. But, all right, so we're talking about favor. So God's grace is unmerited favor. So we, I just said a second ago that the only reason why we don't think that we will get it, we won't get our prayers answered, is because somehow we don't really believe that we have that kind of favor with God. But God's grace is unmerited favor. We're talking about the favor of Jesus. Okay, Jesus' favor comes upon us. The grace of Jesus comes on us. You know, we inherit this from him. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 29 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for we know that for those who love God, people who love God, who are they delight in the Lord. These are the ones who've chosen to humble themselves before God and pursue him with all their heart. And we know that those, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So when we accept Christ, we are being now made into the image of his son. When God looks at us, he doesn't see us anymore in our mistakes and all of our problems. He just sees Jesus. That's powerful. If I know, so this is how I can go boldly before the throne room of grace, the throne room of God. Because I know that Jesus could do that, right? Think about that. Couldn't Jesus just walk in to the throne room of God and ask whatever he wants and he's going to get it? We can believe that easy. But it's hard to believe that I look like Jesus and I can walk right. It's kind of, I'm not saying it's like a deception, okay? I'm going to use a story. It's kind of like whenever Jacob dressed himself up like the firstborn. Had the hair. And when he came to God, or when he came to his father, the father was blind. And he couldn't see. And so he touched it. And smelt it. It says, this looks like Esau. It smells like Esau, but it sounds like Jacob. What's he do? I bless you. He blessed the son who didn't deserve it. He blessed the deceiver who didn't deserve it. Because he looked like Esau. And this is God's idea. <laughs> this is God's idea. It's not like, and we're not deceiving God. My point is, though, it's just like that, man. Just like, just like Isaac when he, was, when he couldn't see. That's what God has chosen to do, to blind himself to your sin. Man, that's so good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for blinding yourself to my sin. You know, So I can boldly come before the throne room of grace. So when I have that confidence, and I know, man, I represent Jesus. When I come before God, I look like Jesus. It gives me confidence. Uh, Hebrews 11, 1 says, Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. And I was just talking to somebody. I looked at that translation again, and it did not say that. Apparently, this translation changed that the way it said it. But I don't think they ever should have changed it because it means, that's exactly what it means. But I'm going to read it out of the King James, or the New King James. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we looked it up, the scripture, ver I mean, we looked up the definition of substance, and it means the real physical matter of which a person or thing consists of and which has a tangible and solid presence. So faith is the tangible. Faith is tangible. It's equivalent. The reason why this is so confusing is kind of like whenever we say, I am the righteousness of God. Or Jesus was made sin. This isn't, it's hard to fathom what that means. That Jesus was made sin so that I could become the righteousness of God. It doesn't seem like those things could really translate into each other. But faith is the substance. Faith is the tangible thing. Like, your faith is tangible. Like, it has to be tangible. I believe so much that it's tangible. See what I mean? I can touch it. I can feel it. You know? Other people can see it. 
Like when Paul was pre- preaching one time, he saw a lame guy. He says he saw that he had faith. What if you had so much faith somebody saw it on you? He saw that he had, and seeing that he had faith to be healed, he picked him up and said, rise again and get up in the name of Jesus. And the guy starts walking, you know, seeing that he had faith. So good. Our faith has to be tangible and it is the evidence that it's not seen. Our faith is like the portal, man. Faith is the portal to bring things in the heavens down to earth. Um, so why do we pray? <clears throat> because Jesus teaches us how to pray. Luke 11 verse 1 says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. All right, so there's not many things that the disciples asked for, and one of them was, teach us to pray. Um, like you, like, uh, And so now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, all right, so this, we're going to really talk about this next time really in depth, okay? We're going to be opening up this passage. It's going to be the meat of what we talk about. Um, But I want to go to this next part here to describe another way that Jesus was saying how we should pray. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer within, Do not bother me. The door is not shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, I don't think that God is like that necessarily, where he's just like, you know, well, he's in... The point is, persistence is important patience, endurance. When we pray and believe God for something, we can't stop believing for it just because we didn't see it happen right then. Okay? And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and I and it will be opened to you. For everyone who has who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you if his son asks for a fish will instead of a fish give him a serpent? For if he asks for an egg... Will it give him a, a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So we're talking about, now this is weird, because he's talking about what you ask for, praying for something, you know? And then he talks about the Holy Spirit, which is important. Because when we pray, we encounter the Holy Spirit. Okay? This is very important. When we pray, we encounter the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Spirit of God is important because by Him, we receive our victory and our freedom. And only through prayer can we receive the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 12, 28 says, But if it is by the Spirit of God... So they're talking about... During this passage, Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, they're talking about um, how Jesus was casting out the demons. Okay? He's casting out the demons, and they're like, Hey, he's doing this by the power of Beelzebub. And he's like, A house divided can't stand. And going on and on, right? So he says right here, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. All right, so check this out. When we pray, we're believing God for the Spirit of God to come down into this situation. When the Spirit of God comes down into this situation, it brings the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is saying. But if it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So whenever the Spirit comes, there's freedom. When the kingdom of God comes, captives are set free. Make sense? So, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit. 
And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Spirit of God is our door and access point to the kingdom of God. And pray and prayer is the key to that door. What does uh, he teach us concerning the purposes of prayer? And so I'm going to blow through this last part here. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, 7 through 13 is basically the same thing as Luke chapter 11, verse uh, 1 through uh, 4, when it talks about the prayer. But it, it has a little bit more in depth. It's like, it's like it has a little bit more in it. And it says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows you need what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Okay, so we can break this down real quick. Um, we're in Matthew chapter 6, 6 verse 7 through 13. Okay, it says, Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Okay, so what does prayer do? There's, there's uh, one, two, three, four, five pieces of prayer. Number one, worship. And I'd say this, this could even be communion. Our Father, you have a relationship with God. Okay? Who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You worship God. This begins with um, thanksgiving. So when we pray, this is how we should open up our prayer. With thanksgiving with worship and praise. This breaks down. This is like the battering ram to breakthrough. Thanksgiving is the battering ram to breakthrough. There's tons of, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll be able to get to that next time, but it is the battering ram. It's just like when the Israelites were walking around Jericho and they were praising God and the walls came down. That is what our Thanksgiving does. That's what our worship does spiritually. It literally breaks down the, uh, the walls. Number two, your kingdom come. Uh, it says your kingdom come. Uh, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, now, we're talking about our assignment. Father, what's my assignment? To bring the kingdom of God to earth. Okay? The assignment and the calling, setting the captives free. So this is part of prayer. So the first part of prayer is worship. The second part of prayer is setting captives free. We're now praying that God's kingdom comes to earth and sets captives free. We already know from the other passage we just read in Matthew chapter 12, if the Spirit of God has come upon you, or the Spirit, if it's done by the Spirit of God that we cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So we know that when God's kingdom comes, the, the captives get set free. When the Spirit of God comes, we get freedom. We get breakthrough. Does this make sense? So, assignment. Setting captives free. Number three, our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Number three is provision. Our prayer should consist of worship, our assignment, and calling, setting people free, bringing the kingdom of God on earth, and provision. But this is also why the Bible says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He even puts in his prayer like that. Seek first the kingdom, and then all these things will be added to you. Worship, kingdom, provision. Number four is forgiveness. And not just forgiveness. Restored is peacemaking. It's, this really should be called peacemaking. This is when we say, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. So we're talking about godly relationships, or God's re a relationship with God, and then men. Notice it's God first, then men. Okay? And the last one is protect us. Protect and deliver. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I think that this has to do with our heart issues, not only the outside circumstances. 
God wants us to protect our heart. Lead us not into temptation. So now it's saying, guard our heart, protect our heart. And when we protect our heart, then we also can pray for outside protection as well. And so, that's, I think we're going to wrap up right there. Next time we come together, we're going to break down these five things in prayer. Okay? And we're going to go into real depth, real good depth about it. So, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Bold as a Line Ministry Podcast. For additional teaching, prayer, information, or support, visit our website at boldasalignedministries.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our Facebook page for weekly updates on what God is doing here. We pray blessing over you and yours and for the passion and courage to walk boldly for God.